live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought or two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! and deals with America, shall we say. It deals with my people and our oppression. I don't quite understand. Yeah, the same thing as you. I mean the same as you. You're right. It deals with America and the black and white problem, really. Southern Peace.
blood on the leaves and blood at the roots black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit Good morning, mutineer. The Labor and Love Show. Ms. Nina Simone singing about a problem that has never gone away. Them big bulging eyes. And the twisted mouth. Other people consider... Sin privilege of magnolia, clean and fresh. Strange fruit. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. It deals with America and the black and white problem, really. The ugliness of it, that is about the ugliest song I have ever heard. Ugly in the sense that it is violent and tears at the guts of what white people have done to my people in this country. I mean, it really, really opens up the wound completely well. When you think of a man hanging from a tree and to call him strange fruit. Simone there with her version of Strange Fruit. Good morning, everybody. Um, Nice to uh, be here with you. Somebody Guthrie.
Lots of folks back east, they say, is leaving home every day, beating the hot old dusty way to the California line. Across the desert sands they roll, getting out of that old dust bowl. They think they're going to a sugar bowl, but here's what they find. Now the police at the port of entry say, you're number 14,000 for today. Oh, if you ain't got the do-re-mi, folks, you ain't got the do-re-mi. Why, you better go back to beautiful Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Tennessee. California is a garden of Eden, a paradise to live in or see. But believe it or not, you won't find it so hot if you ain't got the do-re-mi. Buy you a home or farm that can't deal nobody harm Or take your vacation by the mountains or sea Don't swap your old cow for a car You better stay right where you are You better take this little tip from me Cause I look through the want ads every day But the headlines on the papers always say If you ain't got the dope, gray me got the do-re-mi, why you better go back to beautiful Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Georgia, Tennessee, California is a garden of Eden, a paradise to live in or see, but believe it or not, you won't find it so hot if you ain't got the do-re-mi.
Carlos Santana. This is the Labor and Love Show. And uh, among other things, we're celebrating Carlos Santana's birthday, July 20th, 1947. And that was uh, Oye Como Va from the second Santana album. Carlos Santana was born in Mexico, in uh, Jalisco. And his family moved to Tijuana and he started playing at clubs there as a very young person, um, working as a dishwasher. Uh, family moved to Tijuana and then to San Francisco. But Carlos stayed in Tijuana, later joined his family in San Francisco, graduating from our own James Lick Middle School and then from Mission High in uh, 1965. Uh, was accepted at some colleges but chose not to go. Was listening to the blues all this time. Um, got a, lived in San Francisco, although he said he liked it better in Tijuana because he could do what he wanted. He was making enough money as a musician, playing in the clubs there that uh, was hard to move to San Francisco, but he did. Became a dishwasher, and in those days, the early 60s, you could go up to some days on, uh, oh, South Van Ness, Dolores, go out Dolores, and there was a vacant lot on 17th Street where Santana would often play on the back of a truck, a flatbed truck, with uh, his people. Uh, he got a break when a show at Fillmore West, a Paul Butterfield show, was canceled because Butterfield was drunk. And Graham, Bill Graham quickly put together an impromptu band that he knew some people from Butterfield's band, Grateful Dead, Jeff Jefferson Airplane. And he needed to choose the guitarist. Well, Santana's manager happened to be there and said, why don't you try Santana at that time, 19 years old. And uh, after that, it was all over. Santana's guitar playing in solo gained the notice of both the audience and Graham and Santana put together his first band, the Santana Blues Band. We'll hear some more from Santana right now. I want to remind you, you're listening to Labor and Love on Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, here in San Francisco. Social Justice Radio for the Bay and Beyond. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, you're probably on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor, and when I say labor, 
I mean you. This is your work weekly labor magazine. Let's see what we've got today. We've got our regular features. Workers Independent News. World Labor Report. Look back on the Civil War, the American Civil War. Talk about uh, forced labor. <laughs> the military takes the cake. Uh, a little discussion of Tim Kaine and his stand on labor issues. The uh, vice presidential candidate of Hillary Clinton. We've gone from Bernie to Tim Kaine. John Fromer has a, an album out through PM Press. I want to pay, play some hits off that. It's called We Do the Work, but it's not the same one as under that name that Fromer recorded before. Uh, labor History, Chinatown Raids, 1877. First labor contract signed by the UFW, the first labor contract signed with the UFW. We'll talk about the Port Chicago demonstrations and the Newsboys strike this day in labor history. Right now, let's wake up here. Johnny Winter with Dylan's uh, Highway 61. Wake up, America.
As I, as I said, that was Johnny Winter playing uh, Dylan's Highway 61. Wait for us to wake up this Saturday morning. If you were out late, if you were uh, out working or playing, it's Saturday morning. This is Labor and Love. Come on, wake up. Let's get with it. Um, I neglected to mention... Our rap band, okay, Prophets of Rage. We're gonna have uh, Prophets of Rage went to the uh, Cleveland Republican National Committee and played concerts there during the convention. The GOP is turning into some kind of nightmare, Chuck D. Says as rap rock supergroup hits town for Republican National Committee time shows. Uh, Let's see what we got on this. 
Tom Morello, Chuck D. First, I just couldn't stand that Trump and Sanders' campaigns were referred to as raging against the machine, that these were anti-establishment candidates running as a Republican, as a Democrat. We were determined to deliver on what raging against the machine really means culturally. We have some Rage Against the Machine songs that I think could possibly be of service during this troubled time. And we know a fellow by the name of Chuck T, another fellow by the name of Be Real, two of our principal influences when we were creating those Rage Against the Machine songs. Are they free this summer? And are they willing to stir up shit across the country? Necessarily reflect the Trump view or the the Hillary Clinton view. The people in the middle who have no voice. That's that's who we're basically representing. We want to amplify the voices that are usually kept down and squashed. Governments like to split humans up, categorize them, keep them in one place, keep them docile. Culture likes to spread it out. Want to join human beings into being connected. There's a momentum that happens when we're on stage that people, I think, feel and relate to. And there's nothing more gratifying being a musician to watch that circle of energy come to fruition and, and feel that and see that. I mean, that's the whole reason why I do what I do. Freddie Gray. across the world, there's been some events that have lined up that boggle the mind, and it's been concentrated all in a, really in a one-year period, in a strange type of way. There's a lot of fear right now, you know, just walk out your door if you're a Latin or African-American, possibility of coming across the wrong police officer and possibly losing your life or getting beat within inches of your life and you know, nothing happening. It's a dangerous time right now. So I think people are, are voicing their opinions on how, how broken the system is right now. There's no allegiance to one party, but I would tell you this is that the GOP has turned into some kind of nightmare. They're supporting a guy who's like just an open racist. I mean, a guy wants to build a wall around the entire country. It's kind of disgusting to me to watch. been raging against for some time is this grotesque economic disparity. And here, you, you know, on the, in Cleveland, you see it, there's a pretty stark contrast between, you know, what's going on inside the RNC and just outside of kind of the ring of 
development here in Cleveland. You know, there are billions of people on the planet that suffer in, in abject poverty without adequate health care, education, there's unemployment without even adequate drinking water. Science. They don't have a candidate in this race. They do, however, have a musical advocate in Prophets of Rain. More than a hashtag is the motto, Make America Rage Again. And, uh, uh, you know, that is our intent. Tom Morello and other members, Chuck D and uh, Be Real, a couple other members of uh, Rage Against the Machine uh, rap super group, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, here's their title song, new original song. This was just recorded recently. <laughs> Outside the Agora Ballroom in Cleveland tomorrow night, Prophets of Rage is going to be playing here. Prophets of Rage is a super group formed by three of the guys from Rage Against the Machine, one of whom we're going to be talking to in a minute, that's Tom Morello, the legendary guitarist. Also Chuck D from Public Enemy and Be Real from Cypress Hill, they really wanted to come to Cleveland and be a force for disruption. Make America Rage Again is their slogan, they got the red hats and everything just like Trump. In a couple hours they're going to be playing at a pop-up show. Before we go to that, we're going to go talk to Tom. Our Make America Rage Again tour begins today on the streets of Cleveland.
Okay, there you have it. Prophets of Rage. A new super group. Probably temporary for the summer. Um, Chuck D, Tom Morello, Be Real, and musicians from their band. To make a miracle age again. And that's not too far away from the expressed aim of this show. That is to provide a bridge between the great social justice energy of an earlier generation and bringing that anger and that creativity and that determination and that militant stand against coercion and the compression of people within the capitalist system, the market system that puts a price on anything, which means that some people will be able to afford it and some people won't. Okay, right now I want to play uh, our regular feature, the Win Labor Report, and then we'll follow that up with... Uh, follow that up with uh, the World Labor Report. Here we go. Workers Independent News, we can review. I'm Doug Cunningham. At the union's conference in Las Vegas, AFSCME President Lee Saunders said his union is proud to support Hillary Clinton for president because he believes her policies are much better for working people than what the Republicans are offering. She is fighting to protect our jobs. She is fighting for equal pay. She is fighting for secure retirement for all. And we are proud, sisters and brothers. We are proud to stand with her. Hillary Clinton told the AFSCME conference in Las Vegas that she will stand with workers and their unions as president. So I promise you this, I will be by your side in this fight every step of the way. When I am president, working people will always have a seat at the table and a champion in the White House. Because I believe that when unions are strong, America is strong. On the first day of the Republican National Convention, groups of protesters gathered in a police-designated protest zone to air opposition to Trump and support for a range of issues, including a $15 minimum wage and naturalization of undocumented immigrants. Wins Laura Brickman reports. While the crowd numbered in the hundreds, there were fewer protesters than predicted by law enforcement as well as by organizers of the event. Mick Kelly from the Coalition to Stop Trump said heavy police restrictions and changing regulations accounted for the lower than expected turnout. We're hoping for a thousand plus. We only got this place, the city only seated us this place four days ago, five days ago. So people don't know where and when to be. They hate Trump, but they don't know where and when to be. A few yards from the protest, a group of Texas delegates stood wearing matching American flag shirts and cowboy hats and watch the demonstration. I asked how they felt about the protesters. Well, we had to be told there was one, so it couldn't be too much of a protest. Hey, it's America. If you want to demonstrate, give your point of view. That's America. As long as you do it peacefully and don't obstruct others from their rights, everything's cool. 
Despite his RNC stage remarks in Cleveland, Donald Trump thinks Hillary Clinton is a terrific woman, works really hard, and would make a good president. Unless he was lying when he said it. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the Donald himself praise Hillary. Hillary Clinton, I think, is a terrific woman. Well, first of all, I know her very well, and I know her husband very well, and I like them both. They are uh, you know, just really terrific people. She really works hard, and I think she does a good job. I know her, and she'd make a good president or a good vice president. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. That was Workers Independent News, Doug Cunningham, reporting again on the uh, closeness of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton and her presumed, her, her opponent. Uh, Donald Trump, sorry, his name slipped. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a little about Trump anyway. Here's the World Labor Report. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, July 22nd, 2016. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, labor leaders in the U.S. called the presidential nominee of the Republican Party a racist and a fascist. Unionists are at the U.N. Trade and Development Conference in Nairobi demanding fair trade and decent work. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. In the United States, the political party which controls the country's legislature, the Congress, has nominated for president a man who labor leaders are calling a racist and a fascist. Donald Trump was confirmed as the presidential nominee of the Republican Party on Tuesday, July 19th, and will run against the nominee for the rival Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton. While the Republicans were conducting their nominating convention in the state of Ohio, two of the largest unions in the United States were holding their national conferences. The leaders of the two unions were not shy about their views concerning Donald Trump. Lee Saunders is the president of the 1.3 million member American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSCME. To anyone who says racism and sexism and xenophobia are how we make America great, we say this. We will never quit fighting to keep a jackass like Donald Trump out of the White House. The other union holding its national conference while the Republicans were nominating Donald Trump is the American Federation of Teachers. The AFT represents 1.6 million teachers and other public employees such as healthcare workers. Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. In his world, people should blame Mexicans and Muslims for, well, basically everything from job insecurity to global instability. In our world, that's called racism. What do you call it when a candidate for president debases an entire religion, mocks a disabled reporter, refers to women as pigs, and calls Mexicans rapists? I call it a threat to civil society, to decency, 
and to the values that underpin our country and frankly and frankly it is perilously close to fascism the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, known by its acronym UNCTAD, is being held in Nairobi, Kenya, July 17th to 22nd. This is the 14th session of the conference, which takes place every four years. Many unionists are amongst the 8,000 conference participants. They are trying to influence government decision makers to make sure that workers' rights are respected when questions such as globalization and development are considered. One of the participants at the UNCTAD conference is Celeste Drake. Ms. Drake is the Trade and Globalization Policy Specialist at the AFL-CIO, the largest labor federation in the United States. She was asked to explain the role of UNCTAD and its importance to the labor movement. The UN Conference on Trade and Development is actually um, an essential organization, and if, if you look at the way that globalization has happened over the past 20 years or so, the sort of global corporations and some of the developed countries tell very one-sided story that globalization is only a force for good, only a force for creating growth and wealth, and that there's not a problem, and the really the, the function of UNCTAD is to look a bit deeper and to examine issues of inequality and sustainable development and inclusive growth and these issues that really wouldn't be looked at in any other way by an international organization in the ab absence of UNCTAD. What should be the role of trade unions in international development? It's important that trade unions play a role in the international development community and with UNCTAD because often without trade unions you hear a development voice that isn't about empowering workers. It's about poverty alleviation which is important and similar issues but if you don't build the structure in which workers have rights in the workplace and the opportunity to band together when they choose and to negotiate collectively with their employers, then you're not really building a system of empowerment. And we feel that building unions is really also part of building strong democracies and societies where workers know what it is to vote in leadership and to vote out leadership that's not doing the right thing. And so unions are a really positive role in all of that. How do labor organizations that operate at the national level deal with multinationals that work at the global level? It is a real disadvantage that capital is truly global and the labor movement is not. So one of the things uh, while we're in this space of trying to figure out a better global labor response to the current model of globalization is that the union movements from the more developed countries can provide and do provide uh, technical expertise and financial assistance and obviously solidarity with the labor movements of developing countries. And that's certainly helpful, but that's also a bit in jeopardy as the labor movements in the developed countries are shrinking right now, in part because of globalization. But we do need to get the right in law to really have transnational labor unions that can negotiate with these global corporations transnationally because that's really going to be an important thing to get um, 
real rights for workers and real better wages and, and better working conditions. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,200 stories our volunteers collected in the last week. Our top story section included links to news about the reaction of Turkish unions to the attempted coup there and the purge of government critics which followed. The latest attacks on Greek workers' rights imposed by the European Union, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, and the criminal charges against 41 persons stemming from the Rana Plaza factory collapse in Bangladesh. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. A million workers walked off their jobs for 24 hours in Uruguay in a social justice strike. That's one in three of that country's population. Canadian university workers struck over a plan by their employer to contract out their work, while a weeks-long lockout at a hotel in the same country continued. Kenyan healthcare workers won the pay owed to them by refusing to work while their South African colleagues walked off the job over job security concerns and were joined by doctors. Also in South Africa, the strike by workers at the country's parliament continued. German auto workers held a warning strike of one hour in the midst of wage negotiations. Workers at an electronics factory in Cambodia continued their week-long walkout to protest the sacking of a union leader. And it was a big week for walkouts by public sector workers around the world whose governments couldn't seem to find the money to pay them. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the sexual health program for women run by the Textile Workers Union in South Africa, the struggle for decent work in the garment industry of Kyrgyzstan, and the gendered nature of part-time work in France. Our health and safety newswire carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the call for legal action against employers who allow minors to die on the job in South Africa, the targeting of journalists during and after the attempted coup in Turkey, and events in the ongoing push to ban asbestos in Australia. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Radio Labor will be on a union break until September 5th, but we will be providing occasional reports such as our coverage of the World Social Forum being held in Montreal August 9th to 14th. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity and another world is possible. We discover... Radio Labor there filling us in on um, <clears throat> labor actions around the world. Go to the Radio Labor le website if you want to uh, put your name on petitions for actions all around the world. Um, before that, we had Win, and I want to see if I can... 
a bill to expand workers' protections to domestic workers awaits Jerry Brown's signature. Let's hear this one. With the Workers' Independent News In-Depth, I'm Joanne Powers. A bill to guarantee basic labor protections to roughly 35,000 domestic workers in Illinois is currently awaiting a decision from Republican Governor Bruce Rauner. The bill would guarantee domestic workers at least the minimum wage, protect against sexual harassment on the job, and include the right to one day of rest if they work more than 20 hours. The Illinois Domestic Workers' Bill of Rights also defines what domestic workers are and creates a floor of protection for nannies, house cleaners, home care workers, cooks, and chauffeurs. Anna Jakubik, a domestic worker organizer with nonprofit worker center Arise Chicago, says domestic workers have been historically excluded from basic workers' rights. Minimum wage is not covered. Simple human rights are not covered for domestic workers. The bill is taking all exclusion, so domestic workers have minimum wage and have one day of rest in seven days of work, a very basic things. After a second two-year legislative session, the bill passed out of both houses and went to the governor's desk on June 28th. Technically, from now, we have 45 days more for governor to make a decision. We have no opposition, and Department of Labor is neutral, doesn't see any problems with the fiscal issues. It doesn't see any problems for enforcement as well. We brought to them information from New York, who implemented this kind of bill in 2010, to just prove that there are not major changes in existing laws like minimum wage or wage theft protection. That will be implemented toward domestic workers as well. If Illinois' anti-union governor can be persuaded to sign the bill, Illinois would become the seventh state to expand labor protections to include domestic workers. Jakubik is optimistic about the bill's chances. We finally get out from two houses and we have supermajority in both of them. We still have to go back to the houses and vote it again the veto, but we would like not to do that. <laughs> Especially that we have some Republicans voting for us, so we shouldn't have a big problem, but you know, you never know. Jakubik says the need for domestic worker protections is actually growing. Every six seconds, somebody turns 65 years in the United States. So that gives Illinois 10,000 people daily turning 65. I'm not saying that all of them will need the care work, but demand is growing for caregivers and their domestic workers. And not mentioning about the cleaners and nannies when that's something else that is needed. Changing the face of that work. So domestic worker in a household is not luxury anymore, is necessity. And if we think that way, maybe we will be able to move that bill forward. Brought to you by Union Active, your certified iOS and Android mobile app. Okay, that was a case on a workers' independent network. In Chicago, a bill to include domestic workers. Now, these are people, as Dolores Huerta states, these are the people who do, these people who've been excluded from labor laws. They pick and process our food. They take care of our elders. They take care of our children. They cook for us. They clean for us. They keep our lives together so that the people who hire them can go out and uh, be swells, if you know what I mean. And these people historically have not been included in labor legislation. Hopefully that'll change now. Hopefully the governor of Illinois will uh, sign this bill. 
Okay, speaking of governors, uh, Hillary Clinton this week named uh, Tim Kaine of West Virginia to be her running mate. Big disappointment going from Bernie to Kane. That's quite a, a ways. Kane is a practicing Roman Catholic, so he's against uh, abortion, but supports women's right to choose. He has sponsored right to work legislation, and let's just talk about that for a minute. What is right to work anyway? What does that mean? Well, it's an old phrase, and it's been around for quite a while, since the early 1900s. But it became especially prominent, like in 1958, here in the Bay Area, here in California, and all over the country since then. A right-to-work law is basically a law that says you don't have to join a union to work at a certain place. Right-to-work legislation means that the boss, the owner, the manager, the negotiator can negotiate with people one at a time and in secret instead of having to deal with a bargaining body. And remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're probably on the menu. You're probably on a right-to-work menu. Right to work opens the way for the bosses to exploit workers. They have no bargaining body. They have no collective bargaining voice. They have not that threat of a work stoppage, uh, an organized work stoppage. In other words, right to work means a workplace that's not organized, workers who are not organized and do not have a body to negotiate for them. Well, anyway, Tim Kaine supported a right-to-work measure in his home state of Virginia. Well, what else about him? He speaks Spanish fluently. Okay, he worked in Honduras. Um, For a while, was a well-known property rights lawyer. In other words, um, helping people who were being evicted. He was an evictions lawyer. And uh, so we'll see. Generally speaking, uh, progressive people are not very happy about this selection. While there are, and I'm reading a little here from the In These Times website. While there are many reasons a cane pick would signal a less than secure and values-driven Clinton presidency. The fact also stands that he is a white male insider at a time when the rising electorate is decidedly not white and quite clearly looking for strong leadership and meaningful change. Kane is not the change we speak. And Kane has this kind of offhand and folksy uh, approach to interviews and statements. Anyway, read this article. Uh, it's about Kane and about the disappointments of Obama. 
And uh, Hillary says she's supported unions. She supports unions. She knows that America works better when unions are strong and so on and so on. But at the same time, she has been involved in legislation that is it against the interests of most working people. So we'll see. As far as Trump, we haven't talked much about Trump yet, but this week was Trump's week. And I want to play a song. Well, I'll look for it while I talk here. Um... Donald Trump, if, you, if you've been a working person for a while, you probably have run into people like Donald Trump. People who consider themselves uh, entrepreneurs, whiz kids, who are, whose push is to make money for themselves and uh, everyone else can go to hell. The people, the guy who wrote Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, has come out with uh, interviews, unflattering interviews about Donald Trump and his time working for Trump. So it's a scary thing. This is a guy who's uh, in control of your life and he's. Well, the word is shallow. Chet Huntley once said about Richard Nixon that he couldn't believe how shallow Nixon was. And I think we got the same thing here with Trump. A man with a short attention span. A man who's used to having his orders carried out. A man who's hired foreign laborers to come and work for him who's reneged on all kinds of payments to contractors uh, who kind of uses the system and really doesn't have any morals in the sense of working in a government, okay? The, The morality, of course, of business is to get as much money as you can and nobody cares how you do it. And I'm afraid we're getting into a A guy like that. Um, Trump kind of talks off the cuff, you know. Um, He's proud of, you know, all that he's done. He's talked about, you know, uh, what a great father he is. But he is on, on record as saying that he just wants to have a lot of kids and the wife can take care of them. It's not much fun taking care of them. But of course, now he's claiming them. Um, Unions (laughs) don't count on it. People like Trump think that they they're God's gift to workers. Okay. And they're good people. And this can all be settled. Uh, Personally, why deal with unions? I mean, uh, he wants lower wages. Let me see. I've got a statement here by Elizabeth 
uh, Warren. And the Trumps of this world believe they're the ones. They're, they made themselves rich without any help. They're the catalysts. This is what Elizabeth Warren says about that. There's nobody in this country who got rich on his own. Nobody. You moved your goods to market on roads the rest of us paid for. You hired workers the rest of us paid to educate. You were safe in your factory because of police forces and fire forces that the rest of us paid for. You didn't have to worry that marauding bands would come and seize everything at your factory and hire someone to protect against this because of the work the rest of us did. Now, you bu- now look, you built a factory and turned it into something terrific or a great idea. God bless. Keep a hunk of it. But part of the underlying social contract is you take a hunk of that and pay forward to the next kid who comes along. So Elizabeth Warren talking about the responsibility of entrepreneurs to pay back the society that they're profiting from. All these services uh, and laws that make people like Trump rich mean that more is taken from us, the working people, the people who actually work for Trump. And uh, anyway, here's what I've got to say about Trump. This is the great... Lydia Mendoza.
sheep uh, like the shepherd. Uh, it's a new day, my uh, group stay forever uh, striving. Give thanks, yeah. we alive and been through the gutter, now we see the horizon. It's clear to me now, used to be confused, took a lot of years to see how. Now, we moving planets, wow. take the average mind and expand it. Yeah. We take for granted, like we always gonna be disadvantaged. But soon come, and soon come, you're soon done. You start run, you stumble, you catch one. And the rhythm, Santana lift the gifts with precision. Not Zion, we marching through it, African lions, conquering Babylon with the heart of a lion. 
And that was uh, a little short Santana set with his uh, La Migra, words that still strike <clears throat> emotion in the hearts of so many of our brothers and sisters, people who are living in the shadows <clears throat> and in constant fear of the Migra. And after that, after that, we had <clears throat> Lauren Hill singing with uh, Santana's group called Do You Like the Way? Okay. Um, Let's look at our labor notebook now. 1877. <clears throat> July of 1877. Workers in all over the, all over the country. Workers all over the country uh, rose up, railroad workers carried a strike that began in West Virginia <clears throat> all over the east and eventually to the south and to the midwest in St. Louis. In several places, workers took over all the city services and governed themselves. Black and white workers together in uh, New Orleans and in St. Louis and uh, when this impulse reached San Francisco, San Francisco workers had just risen up and, and formed the Workers' Party. And the Workers' Party was all for control of the Southern Pacific Railroad. <clears throat> it was for an eight-hour day. It was for... Um, wider suffrage. It was for a union shop. However, it was flawed because it was also anti-Chinese, a great part of it. A worker, uh, owner of a train, mule train, teamster named Dennis Kearney, like many of the workers at that, and white workers was Irish, took to the sand lots where people would stand and listen to speeches and railed against the Chinese, railed also against the great capitalists of the time, great only because they were rich. And uh, one of them, Charles Crocker, Carney said that he was so powerful that if he gave the order to go and hang Crocker, it would be followed. Robert Barron had built a wall around his neighbor's house. There was a small part of a block that someone else besides Crocker owned, and they kept their house there. Well, Crocker surrounded their place on three sides with a large wall because he didn't want to have to look at 
this other person's home. Arrogance, the kind of arrogance that Trump would, Trump is saying. He's going to build a wall, too. He said it again during his acceptance speech. He's going to build a wall to keep Mexicans out of California. <laughs> okay, it's only, it's not funny, really. It's only funny because it's so strange and weird uh, that someone would do this. There were other leaders, um, like Frank Roney, who testified at uh, government hearings that the Chinese were not to blame. The people who were to blame were the capitalists who were hiring the Chinese and paying them dirt wages. They were exploiting them. The Chinese were so desperate for work, they would take work. Have to remember that the union movement in the United States has often been about taking work away from communities of color and uh, giving it to white workers. That's been the raison d'etre of uh, the labor movement in, in a lot of situations. Eventually, the uh, Workers' Party elected, there was a constitutional convention in California, and the Workers' Party elected a lot of representatives, took power in several uh, towns in California, but eventually petered out because you can't have a labor movement that excludes workers because they're Chinese. Uh, a little bit later in 1903, there'd be a, an alliance of Japanese and Mexican workers in the city of Oxnard to fight against what was basically, basically uh, wage reduction and um, taking control by the owner's contractors instead of the contractor's who were uh, Japanese or Mexican, which was a strike that was won. But then the AFL would not take Japanese workers. So you can't have a labor movement that excludes workers. People keep trying. July 17th. Let me look at this one. July 17th was um, 1944, I believe, Port Chicago strike, when um, black workers refused, black workers, July 17th, 1944, black workers refused to load munitions onto ships right here in Port Chicago. On July 17th, a munitions explosion at the Port Chicago Naval Magazine K 
killed 320 soldiers, mostly African-Americans, loading munitions onto ships. This spurred the survivors to demand improved conditions. When conditions did not improve, the group refused to load the munitions. They were charged with mutiny and were sentenced to long prison terms. Now this, we have to consider that being in the army is enforced labor, is forced labor. So comparable perhaps to uh, people in a prison camp. Although there's always the justification that you're fighting for your country, you're fighting fascism or terrorism or communism or whatever it is, it remains that the people are, are indentured. They have to serve their time. Um, this was a time, World War II, of race discrimination, where in 1943, white workers in Detroit went on strike and had rallies to protest the hiring of black workers. On June, the, the Navy and the officers told these guys that it was safe the explosion killed 320 people and wounded 390. 202 of the dead, that's two-thirds, and two-thirds of the injured were African-Americans. The explosion itself registered 3.4 on the Richter scale. Fifty of the men refused to load munitions. So this was basically a strike in the military, a refusal. Um, Thurgood Marshall became interested in the case. He observed the trial, which ended in guilty verdicts and sentences of 15 years of hard labor. A judge soon reduced it by a few years for some of the men. Marshall began a campaign to publicize the plight of the prisoners. And he received the permission of each of the 50 to act as their attorney. And he said before a judge, I can't understand why whenever more than one Negro obeys, disobeys an order, it is mutiny. The case began to get more attention. Helena Roosevelt asked, Secretary of the Navy, James Forrestal, to become involved. The attention did move the judge to reconvene the court-martial, but in the end, the sentences were reaffirmed. On January 6, 1946, 47 of the 50 were released to menial tasks on active duty ships in the Pacific. Two others remained in the hospital recovering from injuries, and one was not released due to behavioral problems while a prisoner. They were given a dis an honorable discharge when they left the Navy. Okay, Port Chicago strike. Very important episode.
And among uh, other significant things we're talking about today, July 29th, 1966, the UFW signed its first contract with a grower, I believe it was Shenley. And here's uh, Dolores Huerta, leader of the UFW, talking about her own life and her own approach as an organizer. I had a very rich, rich childhood. I was very, very blessed and fortunate because my mother was a, a person that really believed in culture. Early on, I was a Girl Scout from the time I was eight to the time I was 18 years old, very active in Girl Scouts. As a teenager, I belonged to the church choir. I was uh, involved in dancing, uh, both folklorico, flamenco, uh, tap and ballet. I took music lessons, both violin and piano. The only negative thing about my, my teenage years, and especially in high school, was the racism that we had to endure uh, because we were Mexican-Americans and because our, our, our group that we all hung out with, there was all the, the Asians, the Filipinos, the black kids, and the police were always giving us a hard time. So we faced that on the streets with the police and then in, in our high school, uh, the racism against the uh, not only the kids of color, but also the poor white kids it was very severe. I was working here in Los Angeles uh, with the community service organization. Uh, Caesar was the director, and I was the executive secretary. And it was actually here in East Los Angeles when we decided to start the Farmworkers Union. It was at Caesar's house there, where he was living there on Folsom Street. And he called me over to his house one morning, and he said, you know, the farm workers will never have a union unless you and I do it. And uh, I thought he was joking. He said, no, I'm serious. Uh, I was lucky enough to be the political director for the organization, uh, and we had all of these chapters throughout the state. Uh, we got uh, driver's licenses in Spanish and other ethnic languages, and we got the ballots in the Spanish language, and uh, the disability insurance for farm workers, and then we passed uh, a, a law that you could register a voters door to door, and so we were able to pass a, a very important law uh, to take away the requirement that you had to be a U.S. citizen to get public assistance. One of the things that we are working on is number one, bringing to the attention of the American public what the contributions of immigrants are because they don't realize how much people do. The work that they do, picking our food, we remind people the food that you ate today, some immigrant picked that food, probably an undocumented person. We have to legalize the people that are already here because they have earned it with their work and with their tax dollars that they have paid and their contributions that they have made to our economy.
That was Dolores Huerta um, first there talking about her life and the racism that she had to endure and how one day uh, Cesar called her up and said, you know, the farm workers aren't going to have a union unless we do it. And so they did it. And um, finally, I've got something here about the Newsboys strike. And if you've ever seen a Disney movie called Newsies that uses the circumstances of this strike to feature Christian Bale and lots of dancing. But of all the Disney movies I've seen, it takes the only one that takes a worker's point of view. Newsies refers to a strike by newsboys in 1899. Um, they They had been buying newspapers from the big news publishers for 50 cents a hundred and then going out and selling them. So maybe you could sell them for a cent a piece and make 50 cents. In 1898, several publishers raised the cost of a newsboy bundle from 50 cents to 60 cents, a price increase that at the time was offset because of the Spanish-American War. There was a lot of interest and a lot of people were buying newspapers. After the war, most papers reduced the cost back to previous levels with the notable exceptions of the Evening World and the New York Evening Journal. On July 21st, 1899, a large number (coughs) of New York City newsboys refused to distribute the papers of Joseph Pulitzer and William Randolph Hearst. Imagine now, these guys are multi, multi, multi millionaires and they're exploiting newsboys. Sure, that's how you make money. They kept others from selling the papers by tearing them up in the streets. They demonstrated across the Brooklyn Bridge for several days, effectively bringing traffic to a standstill. Pulitzer tried to hire older men to do the boys' job, but the men understood their stance and wanted no part of defying the boys. During one rally, the leader of the strike, a boy named Kid Blink, said, friends and fellow workers, this is a time which tries the hearts of men. This is the time we got to stick together like glue. We know what we want and we'll get it. Even if we is blind. The World and the Journal did not lower their 60% a bundle price, but they did agree to buy back unsold papers. And the Newsboys Union disbanded, ending the strike on... August 2nd. Well, if the newsboys can do it, you can do it. If the newsboys can do it, I can do it. If the newsboys can revolt against exploitation, so can we.
And before we get back to uh, more music, here's an article about Oliver Stone, well-known leftist uh, filmmaker, JFK, Salvador, Platoon, Oliver Stone's Untold History of the U.S., an excellent series. Go out and see it if you haven't seen it about American government and foreign policy in the 20th century. But here Stone is addressing something that more and more of us are becoming conscious of. Pokemon Go. What is Pokemon Go? Okay, well, it's a game, an application that you download on your smartphone. And you run around the city at certain places in the city on the grid that you have on your phone, there are Pokemon, Pokemons. And so you go, you go around and look for them, and when you find them, there's a way of capturing them. It's a game that uses the actual city as a place to play. While discussing his upcoming film about Edward Snowden... Oliver Stone spoke frankly about the game that's enraptured millions of Americans, noting that it's just another tool companies such as Google can use to gather information. Nobody has ever seen in the history of the world, he said, something like Google ever. It's the fastest growing business ever. And they have invested huge amounts of money into what surveillance is, which is data mining. They're data mining every person in this room for information as to what you're buying, what it is you like, and above all, your behavior. Stone called Pokemon Go surveillance capitalism, calling it the next stage in data mining. You'll see a new form of, frankly, a robot society where they will know how you want to behave and they will make the mock-up that matches how you behave and feed you. Stone said it's what they call totalitarianism okay Uh, so what Stone says is this game is basically a form of surveillance to collect information on you I think we got better things to do I mean okay I guess you could take some time and look for Pokemons you know that's fine uh But there's a world to win out there. Instead of uh, turning our world into a game, the site of a game, we should be improving it. In China, Walmart retail workers went on strike early in July. They are reacting against the campaign of intimidation by Walmart China, which is trying to trying to coerce store workers to accept the new schedules. This was an issue as well in the Verizon strike. And it's becoming uh, an issue more generally now in labor actions. What owners and managers try to do is to get you to fit their schedule. Um... Walmart moved into the Chinese market in 1996 
and runs 433 retail stores. And the Chiste is the new flexible scheduling system allowed under China's labor law. Walmart is in the process of replacing the existing eight-hour day for full-time workers. Store managers will be permitted to allocate workers any number of hours per day or per week, as long as each worker's total adds up to 174 hours per month. The system will have immediate impacts on overtime pay, as workers scheduled for more than eight hours in a day may not get overtime pay as long as they are given fewer hours in the rest of the month. But it will have even greater effects on those who depend on a second part-time job to supplement their stagnant incomes. It will be hard to hold down a second job when your first job has an unstable schedule. Moreover, workers fear the system will open the door to replacing more full-time jobs with part-time jobs and casual ones, a familiar development from Walmart workers in the U.S. So these are basically ways to control benefit costs for Walmart and to keep workers from, I guess, feeling too comfortable with a steady and dependable schedules. The trick bag of the oppressor is filled to the brim. They keep pulling him out and they keep trying him on us. We gotta fight wherever we see it. Here's one place where we've been fighting. San Francisco lawmakers approved a resolution to make City College of San Francisco the first tuition-free college in the country. Tuesday, the Board of Supervisors voted 10 to 1 in favor of the resolution to make CCSF free to residents and city workers. So, who's going to pay for it? Jane Kim introduced the resolution back in April. She says she did it because an average of city college graduates average city college graduates makes 1100 more a year than a person who only has a high school degree so right now the board is is exploring options for how to how to fund a free city college Okay, this is the B, and I want to correct. Uh, Scott Walker just walked in. I want to correct something I said last week. He he was good enough to uh, correct me. I said that Billy Bragg had been a member of the Clash, which he never was. When Scott told me, I went back and researched what I had read, and it turned out that Billy Bragg had seen the Clash early on in his own career and decided that was the kind of work he wanted to do but he was at no time a member of the clash okay just want to make sure that's understood this is the B and looks like it's time to sign off 
Um, remember, this is labor and love where we tell you how it is and how it is. If one person got a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. There it is. There's the Marxist theory of excess surplus value in one sentence. It's people, where are people getting money from their investments? Where are the investments money being made? That's being made from exploitation of workers. Okay, um, and if you don't have a table, if you don't have a seat at the negotiation table, you're probably on the menu. And remember, Labor Day is every day. Never ever let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Call out to my soulmate, Sylvia Ramirez, my daughter Vita, who makes me proud to be a dad. All my family and all my friends. Cousin Denny, hope you're getting better up there in Sebastopol. Here's Kaori Miraji. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good week and good work.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> yeah. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk. Come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. 
In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsidai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son. and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Um... <sighs> 
Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke 